0: WFUV's Disharmony podcast is sponsored by Aspiration, the credit card that rewards customers for going carbon neutral to help combat climate change. One card, zero carbon footprint. Learn more at Aspiration.com credit. Aspiration Financial, LLC.
1: April 22nd, 2020 marked 50 years since the first Earth Day. For the anniversary, Earth Day Network put out a playlist called Climate Strike. It's a playlist of songs that Earth Day Network says will get you in the right mindset to fight climate change. There's songs about protecting the environment, like Love Song to the Earth by Paul McCartney and other artists. Some of the songs aren't specific to the climate crisis, but they inspire listeners to pay attention to issues and make change, like Taylor Swift's Only the Young.
2: young, 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 young. young, young. young.
1: young. Some of the songs are just really motivating, like Queen's Don't Stop Me Now. Earth Day Network's Climate Strike playlist isn't the only one. There's NPR's Music for Our Emergency playlist, Spotify's International Climate Strike playlist, and so many more. They're motivating, hopeful, angry, and bring attention to the climate crisis. In addition to making playlists, how do organizations use music to get people in the right mindset to fight climate change? Does that really translate to climate action? I'm Courtney Bergseeker with WFUV News, and this is Disharmony, How Music is Responding to Climate Change. In this series, I'm sitting down with musicians, authors, and organizations to talk about music and climate change. In this episode, we'll hear from an organization that takes climate science and turns it into musical compositions. We'll also hear from a group that partners with some of the biggest names in music with the goal of advancing policies on climate change. The Climate Music Project is made up of an international group of climate scientists and composers. Together, the scientists and musicians create compositions that represent data on the climate crisis. At performances, visual components show the data they worked with, while the music tells the story of the science and gives it emotion. One of Climate Music's directors, Lori Goldman, says the performances are meant to make climate science personal. She says many people are put off by numbers and jargon, but the element of music makes it comprehensible and meaningful. With their performances, the Climate Music Project believes audience members can be motivated to get involved with the climate movement. One of their works is called Icarus in Flight, composed by Richard Festinger. Goldman says it represents the changes in population growth, carbon emissions, and land use over time, starting in 1880 and ending in the future, the year 2080. It uses changes in musical density, frequency, and tone, to translate the data into music. What is the Climate Music Project?
0: So we... Um actually seek to educate people about climate change in a way that has kind of an emotional impact on people. Uh, We leverage music, everybody loves listening to music. Um, It's a universal language across cultures, across um, every demographics, everything. And so we seek to leverage uh, music as a tool to, help people understand the climate crisis and get them kind of emotionally involved to lead them to wanting to take more action. So basically we're just trying to motivate action. We work with a team of scientists and um, individual composers to create music that tells the stories of climate change that our science team feels might need a little bit more attention. And we do it in across genres of music. So we're always looking for composers in different genre. We don't want to be composing music in San Francisco and then bringing it to places where they're not really going to want to listen to San Francisco music. Um, so we look for composers across genres and we uh, and musicians that already have audiences so they can bring um, the messages to the audiences that they already have and music and musicians can use their platform to, um, inspire their own audiences to take
1: action. What does the process of bridging music and science look like? It's a, it's an involved process. Um,
0: Most of our science team actually have some musical background, which is interesting. It just, they don't need to have a musical background, but I think they're naturally drawn to the project because they do. Um, And most of our musicians, some of them do have some science background, but most of them don't. And so it's um, first a discussion about what are the stories we, we want to tell so we have three compositions so far one is just about what has happened in the atmosphere and what it will be what is projected to happen based on widely accepted scientific data um, from the past and into the future uh, we have a and that's kind of the atmospheric impacts of, of uh, climate change and then we have another composition that represents the human drivers of climate of climate change, so fossil fuel use, land use change, population growth, and then our third piece that we have completed is a jazz and spoken word piece and that focuses on sea level rise and the numbers of people affected by sea level rise as well as land area affected by, by sea level rise. And um, the process can is involved, it, We develop the story and then the science team and the composer meet, along with um, kind of communications, public policy uh, people to talk about how to communicate the story. We kind of kick around ideas of how you would translate certain data sets into um, musical references. So the first piece of of music was a straight, not straight, but a, what we did was we linked each of the data sets to musical analogs. So there was CO2 near earth temperature, ocean pH, and earth energy balance. And we linked them to things like pitch, tempo, uh, volume, and distortion. And that took place from the year 1800 to 2150. And we modeled two different scenarios. One, if we don't do anything business as usual scenario, and the other if we take action. So we wanna show people that there is hope, there's still the possibility that if we act now that we have time to make a difference and we could keep the uh, greenhouse gas emissions and temperature rise to uh, 1.5 degrees instead of um, the worst case scenario. And um, the other piece, uh, the, the piece that was related to human drivers, the scientists and the musicians sat down. And one of the references, like population growth, was modeled by the density of musical events. So the more notes in a given time frame meant a higher population. So, and and um, it shows kind of the land use change, the population growth. And then the third piece, the jazz and spoken word piece, we integrated the science into the lyrics into some visuals. And then there was also a battle between, um, this is the sea level rise piece, a battle between the drums and the bass where the drums represented the ocean and the bass represented the land. Um, Obviously the drum at the end, it was at the end of that particular section of the music, it was a drum solo as the sea level kind of took over the land.
1: What do visual elements add to the performances?
0: There are visual representations, either to set the context in terms of historical perspective um, and or uh, the first piece had kind of visuals of what was going on during the time period. So when air travel came into being, um, trains, um, uh, space flight, uh, just the expansion of the United States into the West, things like that. Um, but we also superimposed the graphical references to the data so people could kind of follow along with that. Um, The second piece featured kind of a a clock where you could kind of see the progression of time as well as changes in um, land to uh, agriculture and industrial use. So, uh, and that was featured as, as kind of trees that were changing into people in kind of proportion to the changes that were happening in terms of land use from the year 1880 to 2080. Um, and then the third piece, we actually have new visuals for that. And that is um, represented by uh, actual, you can see some of the sea level rise data um, going up as, as um, in accordance with the with the data. We also a typical, if we produce our own event, we would usually have an explanation of what is what people are going to listen to and what they should pay attention to by one of our science team. Then we have a performance and then we have a, a panel discussion with usually the scientists, the composer, and oftentimes uh, a action partner so what we what we want what we try to do is to create a pathway to action for people so what we don't want to do is give them this kind of sometimes disturbing but hopefully a little bit hopeful piece of music but then leave them with nothing to do so we have a few action partners and we kind of will lead people along the path if they want to take action we'll give them information about how they can do that
1: At performances, how do audiences usually react?
0: I think people are appreciative of kind of, you know, the emotional impact that it has on them. Uh, I think one of the things that uh, one woman at uh, one of our first concerts came up to our founder uh, after the concert and said, you know, I've, I've known about climate change, but this really had an impact in a way that now I could really see it in context. I could see this is how the planet was when I was born. This is how it was when my daughter was born. And this is how it will be when my grandchildren might be born. And I now I really want to do more because I can, I've experienced what that is like. And and now I want to take action. So we do get a pretty good reaction from audiences and, um, you know, people are often when we talk to them right after a performance, they're, you know, kind of a little bit, have a little bit of anxiety and we just try to channel that anxiety into action.
1: Why do you think music is so effective at moving people to action?
0: It's, uh... Well it creates a sense of community and people like to do things together. It also has uh, there have been scientific studies that it has neural impacts on the brain and that you know it it does drive emotional centers uh, to want to react in some way, whether it's positive or negative. we're hoping for the positive. Um, so there there have been studies about that. I'm not a an expert in that field. Um, and if you look back though, historically, music's been a powerful driver in a lot of social movements. And, um, you know, it's the, it's the sense of it's reaching areas of the brain that um, that have that emotional response. It's also creating community and um, making people feel something together in a way that they they want to react to.
1: That was Laurie Goldman, a director at the Climate Music Project. Like the Climate Music Project, Global Citizen believes music can motivate people to take action on climate change. Global Citizen is an international nonprofit organization founded in New York City. Their campaigns encourage people to pressure world leaders to advance policy on issues like poverty, inequity, and the climate crisis. Global Citizen hosts an annual music event called Global Citizen Live in major cities around the world. In New York City, the festival takes place on the Great Lawn in Central Park. At the event, performances by popular artists like Billie Eilish and Jennifer Lopez draw huge crowds. And activists or politicians speak to the audience about the issues Global Citizen focuses on. Mick Sheldrick is a co-founder and chief policy, impact, and government relations officer at Global Citizen. He says in 2021, one of Global Citizen's priorities was to encourage world leaders to aid developing countries to build green energy infrastructures. Why does Global Citizen host a music festival?
2: So our festivals, we I mean, first of all, what we say is Global Citizen is a 365 day a year movement. And our festivals are really the flashpoint in those campaigns to rally people together, mobilize citizens, and give them a platform to call on governments, foundations, businesses, to make the commitments necessary to to end extreme poverty and um, combat climate change. And so, you know, we've done um, the Global Citizen Festival in Central Park now, we're coming up on 10 years next year. We took a brief hiatus last year, but we came back roaring um, with excitement and energy with this year, which was Global Citizen Live, and what we did in Central Park was actually the anchor of a 24-hour, um, you know, music extravaganza featuring 50 artists. And this year was the culmination of our campaign and in the lead up to the COP26 um, conference, which just took place. And as part of that, you know, the campaign and and this year's Global Citizen Live, the concert in Central Park, was calling. Um, on businesses to step up, set ambitious emission reduction goals across all of their supply chains. But we will also call on the wealthiest countries in the world to deliver on their promise to provide developing countries with at least $100 billion a year annually to help mitigate and adapt to the impacts of climate change. And as part of this, we always say citizens are the major agent of change. Leaders respond to our citizens. You know, citizen-led accountability is key to delivery of promises. And, you know, with the festival, it's all about our ethos of pop meets policy, using this as a platform to mainstream these issues, get them engaged and give citizens a way to take action. And of course, you know, for those listening who have joined us in Central Park, they know that the only way to get a ticket is through taking action, using your voice and in doing so accruing points to go in the draw to earn tickets.
1: What goes on at Global Citizen Live besides the music performances?
2: So, you know, as well as some of the amazing artists um, performing, we also have um, amazing hosts. And we've been fortunate, you know, to have the likes of Hugh Jackman to Rachel Brosnahan as hosts. And I, I think it's important to recognize that when um, these hosts take on this role and say, I'm, I'm going to host this event, they, they take it very seriously um in terms of their engagement you know them appearing on stage introducing a world leader or artist is really the the, the peak of the iceberg or, or tip of the iceberg but many of our artists engaged long before that like Coldplay for instance was this year's headliner you know they would be out sending letters to world leaders to businesses asking them to commit um, to ambitious climate change targets they would be using their twitter to chase world leaders you know with Rachel Brosnahan several years ago her and i went to washington dc together to meet with members of congress to meet with uh, the united states government to ask them to take on the issue of education in emergencies and we know right now that the biggest influx of refugees and migrants around the world is being caused by climate change so our artists you know really embraced the issue we briefed many of them yeah, I will spend time with them. I got, I got to spend a few hours with Chris Martin in a lead up to this campaign so that they're, they're really able to champion the causes authentically, rally their supporters, but also themselves use their voice to, to advocate. And of course, it's not just artists and musicians we have. We have um, world leaders come in to make commitments. We've had the last few years in a row, um, the Deputy Secretary General of the United Nations, Amin Mohammed, who's a phenomenal leader played a key role in the UN Sustainable Development Goals, uh, the 17-point plan to end extreme poverty and mitigate climate change, and she's always been with us. Yeah, and we also have some phenomenal activists. You know, we've had everyone from Malala Ufusai um, in the past, and she spoke for eight years back in 2015, and you know to look out at the audience it just went silent the whole whole crowd you know was listening to her you could hear a penny drop um all the way through to this year we had people like reverend yearwood um come up from pennsylvania and champion the build back better legislation going through congress and urging people to contact their members of congress because of course that could be and and still can be you know consequential on on the issue of climate change
1: how does partnering with popular artists help Global Citizen?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I remember a few years ago, it was 2016, Rihanna was, was headlining the, the concert and we had been calling for the, the French government um, under then president, Hollande to, to make a commitment to education for children you know, out of school because of various emergencies, crisis, conflicts around the world. And um, she, she wrote him a letter um, a few weeks before the concert asking if he might commit and um, the a few nights before she said hey has he is he responded yet like I was standing in solidarity with these activists she was asking him to support them um, and and you know make this commitment and you know he hadn't replied yet and so she tweeted out so hey President Halan just checking in have you read my letter yet and there was this huge scramble and literally hours before the event was due to begin, we got this notice that actually the government would step up, they would make this this commitment. And you know, we had Justin Trudeau from Canada sending a vis- video message saying, thanks for lighting up my my dashboard. Thanks, Rihanna, for getting everyone to call me and flood, flood my box, my inbox. You know, and so you know, that's that's one example, but we 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 see that throughout. And the great thing is as many of these artists that we work with some of them have come back several times to the festival repeatedly they will have an interest in that and use their voice and get their fans involved as well so it really does become this 365 day a year movement that that spikes once a year on the great lawn of central park which is an amazing venue and we are honored to be part of it and for new york you know arguably that if there was a capital of the world, that's New York City for for welcoming us with with open arms.
1: Ahead of the COP26 summit, what campaigns did Global Citizen create that you hope to see accomplished?
2: I think think one of the biggest campaigns we were pushing was this idea of the wealthiest nations keeping their promise to, to the poorest countries right yeah you know, we've been asking basically for for the wealthiest countries to deliver on their promise to the poorest countries because it's just not fair and it's not just to expect poorer countries to come and make commitments you know about their own emissions when africa as a continent accounts for 2 to 3% of emissions globally you know and the impacts they're already dealing with from climate change come from the historic emissions of wealthier nations, including the United States. And yet these countries, including the US, hasn't hasn't paid their fair share of assistance for these countries. That was promised back in 2009 um, under President Obama's watch. We saw some traction on this um, at Global Citizen Live. We had multiple people. We had everyone from Priyanka, Chopra Jonas, um, to, you know, Alok Sharma, the COP president who joined us in New York, you yeah, know, really calling for this to happen and here in America we were asking people to contact their members of Congress. We, we made some progress. Um, the week of the festival during the UN General Assembly, President Biden in his UN address agreed to double the amount the U.S. provides in climate finance and that alone, you know, is coming from a low base and I think puts the U.S on the par of Italy and Spain in terms of how much we're contributing. And countries with, which are with far lower economies, uh, smaller economies, with far smaller carbon footprints, such as the Nordic countries, yeah, have contributed a lot more over the last decade.
1: That was Global Citizen's Mick Sheldrick. Global Citizen and the Climate Music Project use music in different ways. The Climate Music Project uses music to make climate science more accessible. Global Citizen uses the influence of popular artists to encourage world leaders to make issues like climate change a priority. But both use music to move audience members to become part of the climate movement. In the next episode of Disharmony, we'll hear from a folk musician and an organization about the environmental impact of the music industry and how it can become more sustainable. Thanks for listening. Let us know what you think by tweeting at Disharmony underscore WFUV. Special thanks to The Climate Music Project and Global Citizen for being part of the podcast, WFUV's George Bodarchy for all his help, Rachel Leesendahl for contributing the cover art, and my dad, Joe Bergseeker, for contributing the music. I'm Courtney Bergseeker with WFUV News, and I'll catch you next time on Disharmony, how music is responding to climate change.